Welcome to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. I'm your host, Hope Bohannock, and you can find all our past shows by going to our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and you can also find us on social media. Come and engage with us on Facebook and Instagram. Today we have a Halloween-themed show, and our guest is Marla Rose of Vegan Street. We will be discussing being vegan around the holidays and other things, and we definitely, it was a fun interview. We laughed a lot, so I hope you enjoy it. I love Halloween, though sometimes it can get a little creepy, a little too creepy for me. Uh, Kojin and I like what we call spooky cute, like Scooby-Doo or, you know, cute ghosts with smiley faces. We're, we're into the spooky cute, uh, but sometimes it gets a little gruesome and gory <laughs> for us. But there's some interesting stuff to dig into with the connection of horror and horror movies and animal rights. I, I used to be able to watch horror movies when I was much younger. I loved zombie movies and other things, but I, I just can't handle it anymore. <laughs> I am just too uh, too wincy and wussy now. But uh, but But interestingly, I want to talk about this connection of horror movies and animal rights. So I'm going to start us off today with a discussion about cannibalism in the spirit of Halloween. Now, if you find yourself revolted by the thought of cannibalism before you turn off the podcast and skip this episode, I want you to ask yourself why. Why is talking about cannibalism more disturbing than talking about meat eating or eating animals, which is what we talk about often on this show, right? If you are more revolted by the topic of cannibalism, then I might suggest that you have some unconscious or latent speciesist bias, which we all have. Uh, speciesism, of course, is the assumption of human superiority that leads to the exploitation of non-human animals. And human flesh eating is, is a really common theme in horror, right? Like zombies, of course, even vampires drinking blood is a form of cannibalism. And there's blatant speciesism around this. There's such a taboo and disgust when it's human flesh being eaten, but not animals. You see this really often in horror movies and horror shows from just blatant flesh eating like zombie hordes coming after people and just gnawing on legs and brains, right? But we also see it in more subtle scenes like in the classic campy cult film Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, where, well, and yes, I I did go to the midnight showings as a teenager uh, of Rocky Horror. I used to dress up like Columbia and act out the scenes with all the audience participation lines. It was so much fun. Does, do kids do that anymore? Does anyone do that anymore? It was so much fun for freaky kids like me <laughs> to go to those midnight showings of Rocky Horror. I don't know if people do that anymore. But anyway, so there's this part in Rocky Horror where they're all sitting down to dinner and there's this big slab of meat on each plate and it's fine and normal, right, when everyone thinks it's animal flesh, 
that they're eating. But Frankenfurter, the, the main character, gives these subtle hints as to what or who they're eating. And one by one, they kind of start to get it. The characters, the dinner guests start to kind of get what's going on. And then Frankenfurter gives the big reveal of pulling the tablecloth off the table and under the glass top table is Eddie, who has been killed by Frankenfurter in an earlier scene and with hunks like cut out of him. So that's what everyone has been eating. And there's, of course, this, you know, uproar and disgust and horror at the thought of eating Eddie. But when it was a nameless, faceless animal, right, it was no big deal. It was just normal. But this is a common theme in a lot of horror movies. And it's, it's just interesting how when we cross that species barrier, flesh eating goes from a delicious dinner to a horror show, right? Why is it so different? It is our own species, human, so I, I do get that there is something a little closer to home, that there's certain, you know, there's maybe a certain threat to our own mortality. We feel like it could be us <laughs> being killed and eaten, but it's so close to animal flesh eating. It's, it's just really interesting that we have normalized this horror of animal flesh eating so that we don't recognize it the practice for what it is, uh, for what flesh eating is, you know, we don't recognize it as revolting and sickening and awful until it's human flesh. And not only is it disgusting, but you've taken a life, a sentient animal's life. When it's a human, the act of eating flesh is subversive and sickening and shocking. But when it's animal flesh, only vegans recognize it for that, for what it is. <laughs> but somehow, as a society, it's been normalized to the point that people don't recognize it in the same way, don't recognize it for what it is, that sickening, shocking practice. But horror movies can really kind of uncover the reality of flesh eating. So the genre of horror and the motif of cannibalism reveals this latent speciesism that everyone has, and they just don't know it. It's fascinating. There's also an interesting speciesist theme in modern vampire movies and shows, and I'm thinking particularly of the Twilight series where there were, okay, so there's these bad vampires that drink human blood and kill humans. And then there's the good vampires who only drink the blood of non-human animals. There's, there's even a scene where Edward, the main character vampire of the good vampires, he compares his family to vegetarians because they only kill non-human animals. It's, oh, this is so, it's so frustrating again because we have this species barrier, right? Where only the only animal worth protecting is the human animal. If you are killing and drinking the blood of non-human animals, well, then you're just in normal ethical territory. You're no longer a monster. Only monsters kill humans, right? But why? Why is there this vast difference? Is it because humans are conscious? Because humans are sentient? 
Well, guess what? Non-human animals are conscious and sentient. Is it because humans suffer, we feel pain? Well, (laughs) animals suffer and feel pain the same as we do. Why? What's the difference? There is a speciesist bias because of the amount of horror we feel in killing and eating humans or drinking their blood versus complete exoneration from killing and eating non-human animals. But I think that all of this, showing this close connection between flesh eating of animals and humans, can also evoke empathy, right? Connecting eating flesh to disgust or it being shocking or repulsive. There's often a meat connection with the location in the horror movies as well. These creepy scenes being in slaughterhouses or meat lockers and meat coolers with the, with the cow, you know, dead cow bodies hanging, right? That's often the location of the killing or where the killer can be found in these movies. So there's this recognition that slaughterhouses are scary places. For who? right? We're, we're basically subconsciously saying that they are scary places for non-human animals. It's animals that are killed there. So we're admitting that these places evoke fear and dread and are frightening places to be, right? All very interesting. So when we are identifying with the victim in these movies, the fear of having your life threatened and, you know, possibly being tortured or killed in a horrifying way, we're also identifying with the plight of farmed animals. When we empathize with the victim in a horror movie, when we are terrified for what they're going through, we can also empathize with how animals live their short lives every day in fear with scary people chasing you, torturing you, being electrocuted, cut and killed in gruesome and bloody ways, disemboweled and eaten. I mean, that's a farmed animal's life and death. But people may not realize that that's what they're feeling or that they're feeling the same thing that animals go through. So I'm here to connect those dots, connect that horror and point out that what you feel for a victim of a horror movie, that's what you should also feel for farmed animals because it's the same. They go through the same things. So the horror genre around Halloween really presents us with an opportunity, I think, to talk about speciesism in a unique way that, you know, more so than any other season or holiday, it's a great opportunity to have these philosophical conversations around flesh eating. But ultimately, I do believe that we will, as a society, eventually all see what vegans see and recognize animal flesh eating for the horror show that it is. I long for that day. I hope for that day. And uh, I, I think we're getting there. Okay, so let's now bring in Marla Rose and lighten things up a bit. She, she lightens up the airwaves with her positive attitude, quirky, fun outlook. I just loved talking with Marla. I hope you love it too. Here we go. Okay, I am so happy to introduce Marla Rose. Marla is a journalist, columnist, 
public speaker, recipe developer, author, and event planner. Marla and her husband, John Besky, own Vegan Street Media, which is a full-service marketing design and communications company for vegan businesses and nonprofits. Since leaving her job in humane education in 1998, she has dedicated her life to building vegan culture and community. Marla co-founded Chicago Vegan Mania, which was a fantastic festival that ran for 10 years. For the past several years, she's been writing feature stories for magazines, and she's a contributor to Veg News Magazine. She's authored several books, including Fun, Festive, and Fabulous, Vegan Holidays for Everyone, and Humane Halloween, 22 Quirky, Fun, and Bewitching Vegan Recipes for the Spirit of the Season. Welcome to the podcast, Marla. Hey, Hope. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. This is wonderful to do this. We've known each other a long time, been in the vegan community and world together for a long time. I actually came and spoke at Chicago Vegan Mania back in the day. I have a terrible memory about like, just because we have had so many, we had so many events and so many speakers that I was like, I'm pretty sure Hope spoke at one of our events. Yeah, yeah, I came one year. It was a lot of fun. Such a great event. It was huge. Yeah, I don't remember when it was, 2000-something. <laughs> Doesn't even matter anymore. Right, right. Uh, well, Marla, we would love to start by getting to know you. And so to me, all vegans are superheroes, and you certainly are a longtime vegan superhero. So all superheroes have origin <laughs> stories. So we'd love to hear your vegan origin story. Why and when did you go vegan? You know, I think that to ask why I went vegan, you kind of have to go back to why I became vegetarian. And when I went vegetarian, I didn't know about veganism. You know, it was in the 80s. Um, yeah. I was 15 and I went vegetarian because we were in a dissection unit in biology. And I had always had a, you know, a love and affection for animals. And I also loved my grandmother's brisket and, you know, chicken noodle soup and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. But it was something about that unit that just really made it unavoidable for me to connect the dots. It was just like, there was no hiding from the reality of what meat is and because you had to dissect a frog or exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Because there's body there and, and it wasn't just disgust. It was sadness, but it was also disgust, (laughs) but it was, um, it it was a fetal pig and, um, yeah, yeah. That's what they did back in the day. But you know, it's like I said, it was the eighties. So it was a really I was lucky enough to have a biology teacher who I, you know, I was like, I do not want to fail this class, but I also cannot do this anymore. (laughs) It's so disgusting and horrible. And I felt bad because like my unit partner was having to do everything. And anyway, so he was kind of a little ahead of his time, but he said, you know, nobody's ever requested this before, but let's see if we can accommodate that. Hmm. And so there were like these computers that were probably like straight out of like the Flintstones. (laughs) 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 He was, you know, we were, I was able to do comparative work 
on the computer. Hmm. And it was kind of cool because like that kind of set the wheels in motion of like really nakedly seeing what I had been kind of hiding from. Coincidentally, at that same time, I was going on a school trip somewhere and another weird little coincidence that was, you know, ahead of its time, but like on the paperwork, it said, do you have any dietary preferences or or, or dietary, um, you know, avoidances or something? This is like 1983. Nobody, you know, everyone, there was no such thing as not eating well. Well, kids had allergies, like some kind of a peanut allergy or something. Yeah. There was still so little consciousness even around that. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know, just on a whim, I wrote vegetarian. And the little thing. And I remember at the time I was going, I think I can make it through this, this whole weekend as a vegetarian. I, I don't know if I can do it, you know? And, <laughs> and like I mentioned, I had quote unquote loved meat before that, you know, I had, uh, you know, a wonderful grandmother who I was very connected with emotionally and giving up some of the things that she cooked felt, it felt like I was kind of losing her in a mm. way. Anyway, from there, you know, it just that that one weekend just lasted forever. (laughs) And then about 12 years later, so this was in the 1990s. By 1995, I was working at a, a large animal shelter in Chicago in humane education. And part of what we did back in the olden days (laughs) was um, like, so we had this hotline, people would call and ask questions. Like they might have questions about, like, for example, a lot of times, what's it called when you cut the nails off of a cat permanently? Declawing? Declawing, sorry. I I have questions about that, about whether it was humane or not. Anyway, as part of that job, Again, taking me back to the olden days, uh, we had a little library there that had um, this uh, cabinet with files. And there were, even though this was a dog and cat place, there were articles on the dairy industry and the egg industry and the cruelty of them. Mm. And it was just in case somebody called, because again, the 1990s, pre-Google. Right. I don't know. I'm going to call the Anti-Cruelty Society to find out about the chicken industry, but they did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I would be copying articles for people as part of my job ah. and mailing them. But I, as I was copying articles to send to people who were asking questions, I was reading them because I wanted to make sure this was, you know, it it, it seemed valid and legitimate. And as I was reading these articles, I became more and more educated about the dairy industry and the egg industry, because again, we would get calls about them a few, at least a few times a month. So from there, it just kind of snowballed. And a bunch of us who worked at the Anti-Cruelty Society went vegan at the same time, a bunch of us who are friends and became wow. involved in animal rights activism. And I think we are all vegan still today, but there were, I think that a staff of like a hundred people at the shelter and like five of us were vegan, but we were hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, the point is, it was really kind of this long process and a short process. Like, so once I knew I couldn't, argue with it, you know? Yeah. yeah. We went vegan on February 1st, 1995. Wow. 
<laughs> well, I can relate. I went vegetarian in the eighties as well. And it was kind of a similar thing where I didn't really have much influence. It just felt right. Like I did right. not want to hurt animals. Right. Uh, and you started making that connection between animals and meat. And, uh, and I also had a similar thing with my grandmother because I adored my grandmama Opal as well. And, uh, and she would make spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah. And it was my favorite dish, right? And when I was, you know, kind of flirting with vegetarianism, I wanted to tell her not to to make the meatballs, right. but I felt so yeah. ungrateful and, and like, I didn't want to burden her, you know, with it. And yeah, so I, I had a similar thing with my grandmama. Uh, and, and then also similarly that when I went vegan in 1990, it was because of reading about it. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have videos. We didn't have anything like that. It was about books and articles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people went vegetarian just, or went vegan, I should say really from like diet for new America and books like that at the beginning, you know, and sometimes there would be like some janky video that was like, you know, totally uh, cutting edge for the time. Yeah, I mean, the, the connection between, you know, the foods we eat and memory and emotions are can be very deep, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so if you get to the undergirding of that and you say, you know, what connects me to my grandmother is not her brisket or her meatballs it's this love that we share and this, this emotional connection that we have. Yeah. I, I totally understand and relate to that very much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, we, grandmother is very special. (laughs) Yes. Well, we, we are certainly in that first wave of vegans that kind of paved the way for what's happening now. So it's pretty cool. I, yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I don't feel like, you know, you know, as someone who is vegan in the 90s, um, that things were, you know, that we had a lot fewer choices, that things were a lot less widespread, but it never felt at all like a burden. It never felt like a hardship, even, you know, traveling or whatever. It always felt like I am so grateful that I can make this decision. Mm. And now I feel like a kid in a candy store. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, I mean, I think it is important for people to not think that this was created out of thin air. People have been creating demand for it and building a case for it for years and years and years. That's right. And it's now kind of coming together. Well, so I know that you love Halloween. And yeah. Halloween, yay, is coming up. <laughs> uh, and you you host the Humane Halloween Facebook group yes. on Facebook, which is a lot of fun. Everybody should join. And <laughs> you've written a vegan cookbook around <laughs> Halloween recipes, which is awesome. <laughs> and I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check that out. But the holidays, you know, it can sometimes be a hard time for <laughs> vegans in kind of a unfriendly non-vegan holiday yeah. time these months coming up can the sometimes month. be the burr months B-E-R. the burr months that's right <laughs> uh september and october yes absolutely <laughs> they can sometimes you know be challenging 
for vegans. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and, but, but, but as vegans, we want to celebrate too, as we should. So what, you know, what are your tips for creating vegan centered holidays? Oh, I love that question. That's so awesome. Well, first of all, I think that some of this harkens back to what we were talking about with our grandmothers and uh, connections to certain traditions and people. And um, for me, you know, from the inception, from when John and I started Vegan Street and uh, as vegans in 95, we consciously always were about abundance and creating the world we wanted to see rather than, oh, I can't have that. Oh, that's not something, you know, like I, we don't, we don't never wanted to frame it as a lack. I think that sometimes when you present veganism to people, a lot of times their first thoughts start going to, well, what am I going to do for my birthday? What am I going to do for Thanksgiving? What am I going to do when my, my aunt comes to town and she wants to, you know, go to a steakhouse? You start thinking about like special events yeah. And it's kind of weird. Like it's like it's, rather than like the day-to-day stuff that is probably more of a challenge, you start thinking about these like <laughs> <laughs> special occasions that are just rare. But for me, the whole reason for the season with Halloween is like, so I've always loved Halloween. I I love the spookiness. I like the cool nights and warm days. I like pumpkins. I like witches. I like (laughs) horror to a degree. (laughs) And I didn't want to ever give up Halloween. And the fact is that you don't have to, you know, and I wanted my son who's now 20, but when he was a child, I wanted him to be able to experience trick-or-treating and Halloween. And I, I did not like want to raise a child who resented the fact that he was vegan because yeah. he didn't get to participate in things. And yeah. I want to participate in them. So, right. <laughs> so yeah. one of the early sort of influences, I think, on Humane Halloween was there used to be, uh, I think it was called reverse trick-or-treating through Equal Exchange or some other chocolate company that, that works on slavery-free chocolate issues. That's a whole separate topic that I'm sure we'll talk about at some other time. But um, yeah. so what they would do for Halloween is they would, you would send them, you know, say $20 and they would send you a bunch of cards with little chocolates that you sticky glue or sticky tape onto the cards and the cards kind of describe the importance of slavery-free chocolates. Um, And they were vegan chocolates, they were dairy-free. And so the idea of reverse trick-or-treating is that you go door to door and you give people, you give as the trick-or-treater, you give this gift of, uh, yeah, it was a really cool idea. That's cool. Yeah, Yeah. we actually did that a few times in the inception of Humane Halloween. It was all about like, that, you know, uh, going door to door, giving out, you know, vegan candies. But then we were like, why don't we just do that from our house? And like, <laughs> like we yeah. don't have so we were doing that at our house. And then we were kind of developing little, um, my husband's a graphic designer. So um, like uh, posters, people can print out that describe humane Halloween for doors of, you know, windows or whatever people who are participating. But so like, I, I, 
don't remember your original question, but my, <laughs> point, my point is that Halloween was always really special to me and I wanted my son to have it be special as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that a lot of vegans love Halloween for some reason. We just, we really love Halloween. And I've always wondered what, 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 you know, what's up with that. But I, I thought about it and I think that maybe unlike other uh, holidays that are coming mm -hmm. up. It doesn't have so much to do with food or yeah. like a big meat filled meal right. you know, that, <laughs> that so many of the others do. Right. It's just kind of about candy and it's more, that's more peripheral. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, unlike the, the meat fest that is Thanksgiving right. and uh, Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. So, and I think there's also a spirit of DIY with Halloween that a lot of people really love, you mm. know, that not so corporate that, you, you know, obviously you can buy decorations and we do, but there's this, it, there's this sort of genuine creative expression around Halloween that I think, you know, as vegans, we're used to sort of carving things out ourselves, you know, sometimes. Yeah. And so I think that is appealing, but I think it's just the unbridled childlike experience of, of something again, like I think a lot of times veganism because we know what we know, because we are immersed in what we're immersed, because we can't turn off what's been turned on, it can feel very heavy sometimes, you know? Mm, um, yeah. And there's something about Halloween, like from your earliest recollections, that's so unbridled and mm. joyous, you know? And I think sometimes with vegans, it's just like the that we can just enjoy something, that it doesn't have to be this big educational outreach, <laughs> like how we started out with Humane Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> it can yeah. just be about participating in the way that makes sense for us. And, you know, today Humane Halloween is really just a celebration of autumn and, and Halloween fall. And Halloween, some people there are really into horror. Some people love fall but can't stand horror you know <laughs> right uh, it's just like it's really kind of equal opportunity you know it, and it's remarkable for our Facebook group how much people respect and get along I don't know that I think that there's something to this idea of just sort of letting your guard down a little and mm. enjoying things for the sake of enjoying them. And that is so easy to celebrate Halloween as a vegan, you know? Yeah. Uh, of course, there's lots of non-vegan candies and, you know, just like junky stuff that you don't want to but there are a lot of candies that are kind of uh, accidentally vegan, right? Uh, like what a Smarties and yeah, Dum Dums, Dum Dums. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of them that are just so chemical, right? chem <laughs> so artificial that there's no actual. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah, but, and, and there's a lot of new vegan candies now. I mean, a ton of them. And you go to the, the natural food store and you can find a just a, a oh my huge gosh. variety of fun, <laughs> you know, candies that are vegan. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there is something maybe to what you're saying too, about like, there are these heavy, heavy months coming up, you know, thinking about cruelty to animals of knowing what the turkeys and the other animals needlessly go through, yeah. of dealing with family crap, you know, of dealing with people like, 
thinking that you're judging them just for existing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's kind of like, you know, let's enjoy ourselves now because we've got some ugly stuff coming up. (laughs) Right. And interestingly, that might be another reason why we like Halloween is it's not necessarily the get together with other family. It's more your own family. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, though, I do want to say that I love actually Thanksgiving and Christmas food. Yeah, I, I, do I love the veganized versions of Thanksgiving and Christmas food. It's, I think I, I would say it's my favorite genre of food, yeah. actually. <laughs> I love uh, yes. So it's always fun every year yeah. to, you know, veganize. I mean, Kojin and I will do through, uh, through November, almost every weekend we'll do another kind of fun, you know, we'll do, oh, let's do stuffing this weekend and let's yes. do the gravy and potatoes this weekend, you know, yeah. all of that. So yeah, Absolutely. I love the food. I totally agree with you. And I like, I know a lot of people have still a lot of sadness around it, but like I did for so long. And then I think when I'd been vegan for about five, four or five years, we started going to a friend of ours would have these wonderful vegan potlucks, you know, in her home for Thanksgiving. And it completely transformed how I feel about the holiday yeah and, uh, like now my our friend has moved to Florida but we host it and it's just it's a joyous celebration you know and it's not like we are forgetting the animals or pretending that the barbarism doesn't exist but I think a lot of what I try to do in my life and sort of the work I do is trying to own things for ourselves and so we own it for ourselves. If you don't like the term Thanksgiving, which I understand, you know, and you want to say Friendsgiving instead, fine. If you hate the holiday and you want to go see a movie instead, fine. Yeah. And, you know, and that's absolutely right. Finding your thing, finding your flow, finding your tribe or your community can really be helpful. You know, like you said, having meals together with like-minded people, with other vegans uh, can be so, so healing. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you know, for these holidays. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that part of the human condition is this feeling of isolation. So, you know, and I think sometimes we lose vegans when we feel like like when when people tell you that they're having a hard time as a vegan because they can no longer go out with their friends in the same way they used to, or they're up afraid of upsetting their parents or whatever is like, we need to be able to listen to that, even if it was easy for us. Like, I I do really believe from all of my conversations with people that for some people is easier than for others and not for reasons like cravings, although that, you know, can be a thing, but more stepping outside of the comfort zone of maybe perhaps upsetting someone. Right. But I think when somebody tells you that that's a fear of theirs, we should listen and try to help, you know? Yeah. And instead of dismissing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this, this kind of goes along with the work that you do around creating community with veganism. I know that this is a, a big part of, of what you want to do around creating connection and community. It's so important that we feel connected and not isolated. How do we do that? Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that like a lot of times when people think about community, I don't know about you, Hope, and I 
I know I often give the impression because I love talking one-on-one, but I know I often give the impression of being an extrovert and I'm absolutely not. I'm a true introvert. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people, when they hear the word community or whatever, they kind of recoil, especially these days when we're not so trusting of one another, but humans are built for community. And community doesn't have to be like these big, loud festivals and things like that. It can be one-on-one. It could be a small group. It could be a slightly larger group. But we are kind of more pack animals than isolation animals, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, being put out of the pack or out of the tribe or however you want to phrase it was a, a threat to our survival. You know, so when people respond to feelings of fear around perhaps alienating others by their choice of becoming vegan, I mean, it's a valid, deeply intrinsic to the human experience reaction, I think. So I think, you know, what we need to do is ask people, like, what does community, like, when when have you felt in the best possible way that you have a community that supports you. What does that look like? What does it feel like? Feeling is an important part of it. We don't all need to be best friends and that's true of all communities. We don't all need to know everyone's business and you know, and it's certainly <laughs> not in online communities. But I do think that it is part of what makes you feel healthy and whole. Speaking of building community, yeah. uh, you have this wonderful social media presence with Vegan Street Media, and I would love to ask you about that because your your memes are some of my favorite memes. <laughs> Whenever a Vegan Street Media <laughs> meme comes up, I'm like, yes, share, love. You know, <laughs> you do such a great job, such a great job of bringing in humor also, uh, along with very, you know, hard hitting and interesting and inspiring. And, you know, there's so much, you know, you go in a lot of different directions, but that humor, I love that you can come up with humorous things as well. Cause it's, that is, that's very hard actually. I mean, I I make social media posts as well and coming up with something funny (laughs) is really tough. Yeah. But you do such a great job of it. Uh, I'd love to hear a little about vegan street media. Yeah, sure. Well, okay, so a couple little things. First is, so Vegan Street is kind of what more people are familiar with. And that's, that's our presence on social media. So um, veganstreet.com. So it's kind of confusing because we have these two entities, veganstreet.com. That's what's on Facebook. And that's what's creating the memes and stuff like that. Vegan Street Media is our business end of it. So like, the Vegan Street Media is our communications company. Okay, uh, I see. Yeah, I, see. I know. It's a little confusing. Yeah. And so my background is in writing. My husband's background is in graphic design. So it's like, why not create an ad agency for the animals? <laughs> yeah. so, and that's kind of how we see the content we create for Vegan Street. And because we're committed to creating, uh, you know, X number of uh, pieces of content each week, whether they're recipes or memes or articles or interviews or whatever it is, that it runs the gamut of educational to 
you know, humor. But I think that that is also part of our game plan of like showing people that vegans are three-dimensional, fully developed humans. You know, we have <laughs> humor. We have, you know, like nobody yeah. wants to reinforce the stereotypes, you know? <laughs> so I know something else I wanted to ask you about. When you did, when you organized Chicago Vegan Mania, Mm-hmm. You had a principle of vegan is the default. So vegan is just the default. It's norm, kind of normalizing vegan as the basic or the general or the, you know, as you're walking around, everything's vegan, right? And this is an interesting, so there's, there's kind of two different approaches here. And we actually see it in restaurants here in the Bay Area because some have vegan just everywhere. I mean, scrawled right, you know, on right, the menu right. and everywhere you see vegan, vegan, vegan. <laughs> but then there's others that don't say it at all. And you just kind of have to know or like be in the know, like at the Butcher's Son. The Butcher's Son is a very popular uh, sandwich delicatessen in Berkeley. And actually we were eating there one day and it was a group of, of vegans and we're talking and we're, you know, vegan, vegan, veganing. (laughs) (laughs) And, and there was a guy eating this, you know, big roast beef sandwich or whatever. And he actually leaned over to us and he said, what are you eating? That's vegan. Like he didn't didn't get it. He, he had no idea that it was vegan. So really interesting. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, but that's, I think that is, was their strategy. They were trying to just get people in to have a roast beef sandwich and they wouldn't know the difference. Right. (laughs) So I, and you know, I'm kind of neutral on this. I see the benefits of both sides. I mean, I think we do want to normalize the word vegan too, you know, getting people familiar and seeing the word a lot, but then I see the other side too. So, so I'm curious, I want to, I want to hear about this. Tell me, tell me your take on this. Yeah, for sure. Now, first I have to correct something. I might have misspoke or omitted a word or something in our communications, but, um, we had no issues with people using the word vegan in, at the event. Um, but veganism was the default. So like, but like, so like if a company that had a a booth there described their stuff as vegan, that was fine. We had no issues with that. We did, when we were organizing, we're sort of putting together our our exploratory, you know, um, committee for vegan mania. We had someone, you know, a couple of people who are pretty high up with different um, animal rights organizations, discouraging us from using the word vegan in the title of the event. Mm. And, uh, you know, the reasoning being this was 2009, you know, which wasn't a million years ago or anything like that. But at the same time, it was still pretty like wasn't as advanced as it is now. But they thought it would uh, discourage people from coming. I don't know if this is true or not, but one of one of the things that we kind of prided ourselves on and that other speakers told us that was that we were the first like large vegan fest that used the word vegan in the title. Yeah. Okay. So, but the point is that while we didn't shy away from the word vegan at all, we were also not trying to overcompensate for anything. We weren't trying to be like bashing it in your head. So it's kind of a tightrope a little bit because really what we were trying to get across is, and I think we successfully did this is this is a 
default vegan space for the day. So like we have friends who called it vegan Christmas. <laughs> yeah. you just like wander from point A to point B to point Z to point X and everything in the room is vegan and all the speakers are promoting veganism. The idea was, you know, in Chicago at the time and today there are bacon festivals. There are, yeah. you know, probably like, you know, wings festivals. Yeah. And yeah. Here, here in, uh, in, in the Petaluma in the Bay area, North of San Francisco, Petaluma has the butter and eggs day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So like we are like, would the bacon festival call themselves the salted smoked meat? Fe- I don't know. <laughs> like, oh. what? So yeah. they, they, they have no compunction about using the term. So we're like, you know, being vegan is awesome. And we're going to just put the word out there and see how people receive it. And so like, you know, some of the people who kind of tried to discourage us from using the term, you know, are people I respect very much. And, um, you know, I definitely put thought into their concerns. And that I think is part of the, t- the name of it, Chicago Vegan Mania. The word mania, I think, just adds a humor to it, you know, uh, yeah, that, a, f- a fun factor. Yeah, that I think, you know, as much as the word vegan can be intimidating or off-putting for some people, the word vegan mania kind of offsets that. A yeah, little. we just really infused it with the spirit of you know, optimism and, you know, that we're here, we're queer, get used to it <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> We've got nothing to hide. But I do understand that, like, our situation is different from a company, you know, who is trying to get people who are famously, you know, human beings are famously squeamish about trying new things, bizarrely, more worried about trying something that's vegan than eating a corpse which is bizarre yeah, right? <laughs> but we just we just wanted to put it all out there in a very transparent way and mm. I think you know it's like every year we grew every year there was like tons of optimism and excitement about it I'm kind of neutral in that like I do tend to name everything vegan <laughs> with the word vegan in the title I just like the word I love owning it but I can understand also like a squeamishness with a company naming it you know what i mean but also there's people like miyoko who embrace it full-throatedly you know right right exactly tremendous success so i don't think there's a hard and fast rule to it i think there's a lot of people who are telling us that there is and i don't think there is (laughs) you know what i mean that's absolutely right yeah (laughs) i think it's subjective and i think it's also really important to have both tracks happening or both Uh, tactics going on so we can analyze and see what might work best. But, but, you know, ultimately, of course, we want to get rid of the word. I mean, I think ultimately what we want is to not have to use the word. We want the word to go away because we want everything to just normally and naturally be vegan. Right. It's like the word, we don't want to have to be feminist, you know, right. Right. Implies that that there's a problem <laughs> and there is an equality. We want to get to the point where there's not, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So I totally am a hundred percent with you. I have no issues with anyone choosing the track that they choose, but I will say that like as a consumer, you know, if something is labeled plant-based, you know, it gives me pause just because I, I do see now 
that there are a lot of products that are not vegan that are labeled plant-based and understandable is kind of baked into the word. You know, the, the word is meant to sort of, I think, be more inclusive and be less jarring or exclusionary than the word vegan, but it's not a, an actual term. You know what I mean? It's not something where like vegan, you know what that means. Plant-based. Right. That's absolutely right. There is an actual definition <laughs> of vegan. There's actually a line in the sand that, it, right. that, that is understood of what is and isn't vegan, but yeah. you're right with plant-based, it's much more, um, kind of loose. We, you, yes. It, yes. it doesn't necessarily mean vegan. Uh, right. so yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, water. So be, it's, it's really watered down. I right. Think. Be aware of that as a, as a consumer and a shopper, you know, that it just, it doesn't imply vegan anymore. Right. Like if it ever did, but I will say that I think it was, uh, Merriam Webster just added some new words to their dictionary and plant-based, I believe was one of them. Oh, really? And, uh, in, it does not mean vegan according to them. It can mean entirely or mainly uh, comprised of plants or non-animal foods. So, you know, there are people who go overnight vegan. There are people who have a long, slow thing. My thing is like, I I, um, want to support everyone who's making a genuine effort to eventually go vegan, but I'm not going to dumb down the reality of animal agribusness, you know? Um, That's right. That's right. Yeah. I feel like as long as people are moving in that direction and their, you know, their heart is, you know, their heart is vegan and they want to go there. uh, But I just don't want them to to stop at the 80% plant-based and feel like, oh, I'm good. You know? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 No, I just, I've known a lot of people in my life who have called themselves 90, 95% vegan or whatever. It's like, I don't think so. Are you eating like a tablespoon of butter a day or something? And I think if people get honest about it, I do think that a lot of it really is like, there are people who like to feel like they have at least a toe or two out of the door for whatever. Right. You're yeah. right. That, I think you're absolutely right. I think that it's, it's that they don't want to feel a hundred percent cut off yeah. from, you know, mainstream or yeah. their family and, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And I think so much of it stems to this idea of if they quote unquote, make a mistake, whether it's a genuine mistake or they lapse and eat animals or whatever animal products that they have failed and that we are such a black and white, all or nothing kind of species, you know? Um, And so afraid of judgment, including internal judgment, you know, that I think just that alone is enough to make people apprehensive about labeling themselves vegan. So one of the things I tell people to try to offset that a bit is just really honestly, like, I mean, that first year I was vegan, really figuring it out. Like it was, you know, I probably not technically vegan the first year because I would like occasionally get a muffin or something at a a bakery and be like, well, I don't know that it was made with eggs. Yeah, no, I I was the same way. The whole first year, I w- was addicted to ice cream 
And yeah. I would have there were no reason. I would, there was no vegan ice cream yeah. back in the eighties <laughs> and nineties. Everybody, um, no, yeah, no. and 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 <laughs> what there was was icy and yucky oh, and God, yeah. No, we're so lucky now. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I would go and sneak ice cream my whole first yeah. year. Yeah, no, you know? I get it. I get it. And it's yeah. like almost like you have a little bit of a window then if you just call yourself 95% or you're dishonest to yourself about this or that. And, you know, ultimately what happened with me toward the end of that first year is I I saw a movie about, you know, what is done to the animals and the dairy industry and the egg industry. And it's like, okay, that's it. I'm done. (laughs) I'm done fooling myself. I'm done giving myself this little escape hatch. Um, (laughs) And and then it was totally easy. But the tormented year was the, when I just kept like playing games with myself Mm. and my ethics, you know? And so once I kind of closed that door, then it was easy breezy. And now I know, and dairy and eggs are not, are not food to me, you know, or they shouldn't be there anyway, but they're not. That's food right. Me. Yeah, so, that's um, right. That's a, it's, yeah. it's a great way to look at it. It's just, it's not food. It's not food. And yeah. that's really, you know, so interesting because when I raised my son, I was really cautious about like, I don't want to demonize things because I don't want to freak him out. You know, he's already naturally sensitive. When we would go through like a grocery store and there were, you know, samples out and there was something that was not vegan that looked like I don't know, like maybe crackers that were cheesy or something like that. Um, I would just say, I'm sorry, it's not vegan. And he would just, he would totally understand because he just doesn't conceptualize non-vegan food as food. It's just not food. (laughs) While it's not a big deal to him to be vegan, it's just that that's the state we're trying to get to, Hope, is where it's just a normal, natural. Yeah, it's not a, a struggle. He holds it dear to his heart. It's a big part of his own values that he has adopted for himself, but it's also natural and normal. So we often talk about the humane hoax on this podcast, of course, the new labeling that we're seeing with free range and cage free and all of that. I wondered what your feelings are on this issue, on the issue of the humane hoax. And, and I know that you do a lot of, uh, memes around the humane hoax vegan street. You have, you create memes that are certainly exposing the humane hoax. Yeah. Well, I feel like the humane hoax is sort of baked into the industry understanding that people don't want to, they want to believe good things about what they're eating, or at least they don't want to believe bad things about what they're eating. And um, so the more things can be opaque, the more things can be euphemistic rather than literal, like just the idea like of quote unquote free range when you tell someone that can mean one open door in this giant, you know, egg factory where very few leave, (laughs) you know, or get access to the outdoor. Just when you educate people about what the reality is. It's kind of, it is challenging because again, people want to not believe bad things about what they're eating because they don't want to believe bad things about themselves. They don't want to believe, well, I was this terrible violence promoting person, you know, for all of these years. So what kind of person am I? So you're kind of like the bearer of bad news and the, 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 the bummer 
you know, <laughs> and it's unfortunate, but like, we're the people who are exposing the humane hoax, like you, like your organization, like the people who are just insistent on using facts and non-euphemistic language. Unfortunately, you, you kind of get cast, I think, as buzzkills, you know, <laughs> because again, it's, it's something people want to believe. Like everyone knows someone they grew up with who had a dairy farm or had dairy cows, I should say. You know, they're dancing off to the sunset to a happy little death. (laughs) Um, So you're sort of having to counter these myths that people want to believe. And I think what they, what is telling us is that we're not okay with suffering and cruelty and violence. And so these things are in place to try to uh, misguide us and try to deflect us from that, try to obfuscate that. So I think the best we can do is not reinforce them however we can. Like we're, as vegans, we're never going to say, get this other kind of dairy milk instead. We're never going to do that because we know that they're it is still exploitation. It is still forced impregnations. It is still babies being taken from their mothers. Same thing with the egg industry. Like th- there's just different degrees of horror, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I just want my horror in fiction form, not involving <laughs> animals and <laughs> on screen. So, um, you know, industries that are a lot of ways that the industries are trying to take, you know, extract money from people (laughs) by believing the best things about themselves, that I support this industry, that makes me this kind of person, I support, I buy only these kind of eggs, I buy only this kind of meat. And so our job, our job, meaning our is like the, the larger group of us who are trying to educate about it and trying to remove the obfuscations um, is to do that in as many, like, un- unfortunately, you know, it, it is part of the whole industrial complex in our brains of disengaging and, and not seeing the animal in the food that we're eating. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have all of that tied up together in this big knot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there are a lot of things that people hide behind with these labels, you know, even like in the quote unquote humane slaughter act doesn't apply to the vast, vast, vast majority of animals. And when it does, it's certainly not humane. You know what I mean? So like, these are all in place to make people feel better about violent choices, about a violent industry that they're supporting. Well, Marla, it has been really a delight to talk to you. You're just, you're so bubbly and joyful. I, <laughs> I love it. Well, I and, just love talking to people like you. So. <laughs> well, I've enjoyed it so much, uh, but we do need to wrap up. I, I feel like we could just talk all day. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I like to wrap up with this question. What gives you hope for the future? Yeah. Oh my God, so much. I'm getting like, you know, unexpectedly teary thinking about it. (laughs) I I don't know if, you know, it's hormones or what, but (laughs) not hormones from dairy or meat. (laughs) Right, that's right. (laughs) 
there's so much that gives me hope uh, that it's almost hard to narrow it down. Wow, that's great. This is what I would say is um, the people who are vegan, who have been vegan from the earliest days of it to now, we are creators, we are resourceful, we are passionate, we are brilliant. We are bringing so much to the table in terms of creativity, in terms of activism. Younger generations like my son are just growing up without the notion that these things are food, which is phenomenal. Like raising my son among other vegan kids was a great joy and privilege of my life. There's so much that gives me hope. And I think just the fact that there are so many brilliant deeply committed, compassionate people who are giving it their all to change the world for the better. I mean, how can you not feel hope about that? You know, and I've felt like that from the beginning, even when there were like five of us. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it, it, uh, you know, I, I mean, I definitely have my moments and days sometimes try to keep them to an hour at most of, of despair. But there's just, there's so many people coming at it from so many different directions, whether it's podcasts like yours, whether they're writers, whether they're graphic designers, whether they're in the food industry or the restaurant industry, whether they're activists. I just, there's so many different angles and for people to bring their best and to bring their talents. I'm just over whelmed with hope sometimes that there is so much hope to mm. have I know it sounds treacly and you know goody two-shoes but I I just I you caught me at a moment of hope hope ah, I love it <laughs> no I love that so much it's it's interesting the wide variety of answers yeah. that I get from this question because you know it, it, it's it's a crazy dire world out there and it is hard to be hopeful but I agree with you I feel that being in the vegan community seeing how far we've come yes. with veganism uh, it, it is hopeful it's incredibly hopeful yeah. that we will create the future that we want to see and come through this uh, it's yeah I, I mean, that. we're doing it. We're doing it. I mean, yeah. it's not going to be with a finger snap. I'm sorry. I would love right. that. <laughs> we're doing that and we're building such a beautiful world as it's going on. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it, there's plenty to despair about. There's no shortage of that. Yeah. But there's also so much to have hope about. We're creating so much good and it's going to change the world, you know, and it's all over the globe. Yay. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Wow. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Marla, for being on, for being you, for being Mm -hmm. joyful and positive and hopeful. Uh, We all need that so much. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm just got a big smile on my face after talking to you. So. <laughs> Likewise, I do too. I just, I love talking to you and, yeah. you know, all the people who are bringing their, their A game, you know, yeah. we all yeah. have our moments where we're not at our best and that's just part of life. But 
on the balance, you know, you're bringing so much good into the world and so many people are and that you just can't forget that. It's yeah. like you have to be careful about the media that you're consuming because it's very easy to slide into despair. You That's know? right. That's so right. But I got to be balanced with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Marla. Thank you, Hope. It was my sincere pleasure and I can't wait to share and I can't wait to listen to your archives. All right. Awesome. (laughs) Happy Halloween. Thank you. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Thanks so much. Thank you, Hope. Thank you for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. So one last thought about Halloween coming up, I've always thought it would be a great idea to do a vegan-themed haunted house. So you know how people create their haunted houses or uh, get a warehouse or whatever, and you can walk through it and see creepy scenes and get scared by people in costume, right? So my idea would be that you are a farmed animal, like the person that's walking through is the farmed animal just having been unloaded from a truck. And maybe there's scary people with blood all over them chasing you with electric prods and then somehow simulating the conveyor belt and the bolt gun and the throat slitting, right? All that happens in the slaughterhouse. I'm not sure how it could be done. But I see like slaughterhouse footage projected all over the walls, that kind of thing. I think that could be really super powerful. I don't know if I don't know if anyone would actually go through the thing, but but I hope someone tries to do that sometime because that I think would be really, really powerful. All right. Well, if you loved the show, give us some love with a five-star rating. If you're listening on a listening app, uh, would love to see some new reviews as well. Scroll down and give us a rating or review. Don't eat all the vegan candy. Save some for the trick-or-treaters. Have a fun, safe, humane Halloween and live vegan. (laughs) 